Amen. 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 Woo. Amen. Come on. Is God good or what? He's good. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm here to talk to you today about uh, our, our sermon series, Created for Worship. And today's message is entitled, um, My Weapon, Worship Warfare. I'm even getting confused over here. Worship Warfare. We sang that first song. In the first song, we sang that line, my, my weapon is a melody. And so today, I want to talk to you about how we worship and we do battle through worship. Um, the enemy is defeated in our lives when we worship God. All we have to do to defeat the enemy who's coming after us is, number one, we have to not obey him. Uh, because when we obey the enemy, we open a door and we let him in. Uh, so we have to not obey him. But if you're being harassed by the enemy, all you have to do to get him to go is to worship God. You don't have to talk to the enemy. You don't have to address the enemy. I mean, we, we can cast him out. We can command him to go, but you don't have to. All you really have to do is worship. When you worship, the enemy flees. He flees from your life. We're going to look at this in scripture today. Um, and so we have to know that our weapon is a melody, that we can do worship warfare and do damage to the kingdom of darkness that we would bring the kingdom of light when we worship. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so when we worship God, he shows up. He shows up. He comes and he fills that place where we're worshiping. And we're, when the presence of God comes, the enemy has to flee. Let's look at some scripture and then um, if we get a chance, my intention is to bring the worship team back up at the end. Um, I, really, I really want to go back into one song of time. Hopefully we'll have time today. I want to begin by reading 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm going to read most of the chapter, verses 1 through 30. Uh, so I know that it's a, it's a lot of scripture, but we're going to read it. You're going to love it. You're going to like it. If you haven't read any scripture this week, here's your scripture reading for the week. Amen? Hopefully you read this yesterday. Hopefully you'll read it again tomorrow. Um, but there is a, this is an awesome story. Um, I, I don't have to ruin it for you because we're going to read the whole thing. Beginning in verse 1, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So they came to fight against Israel. Then some and come came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan, Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. If you're being harassed by the enemy, proclaim a fast. Start a fast. Kick off a fast. Tell your friends, hey, fast with me. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all of the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God, our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And so Jehoshaphat begins to remind the Lord of who he is and what he said. This is an awesome thing to do when we're in prayer. We don't have to come up with new new wisdom. We don't have to come up with new strategies. Prayer is really simple, guys. 
Remind the Lord what he has said. Just bring him into remembrance of his word. It causes him to act. And he says, O Lord God, our, our fathers, are you not God in heavens? And do you not rule over all of the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? He hasn't even actually really gotten into too much of the word yet. He's just declaring to God who he is. He's telling God who he is. This is great. Are you not the God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and we will cry out to you in our affliction. And you will hear, and you will save. Come on. Look at the faith. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you gave to us. <laughs> o Lord our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Lord, won't you save us? They're too great for us to fight. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And so we trust in the Lord. We place our trust in the Lord. Now all of Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Methanatha, the a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. I'm going to stop right there. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Is there something coming against you? Of course there is. It's called life, right? It, you're living. It's hazardous to your health. Of course there's something coming against you. It's life. You're still alive. Until you don't breathe anymore, now you're in heaven, there will be things coming against you. Every single day, are, are your eyes open? Are you breathing air? Of course, there's things coming against you. Do not fear. Do not fear. It's the most frequently given command in the Bible. Why? Because God knows our propensity that when things come, we're going to be afraid. And so he told us, don't be afraid. So obey the Lord and don't be afraid. So if the Lord told you to not be afraid and then you become afraid, is fear sin? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Don't be afraid. He told us not to worry. And so when we worry, it's actually sin. I'm going to let that alone. We're just going to keep moving. It's good stuff. We did, we've done chapters. We've done whole sermon series on worry. We'll do that again. Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The Lord fights for us. Do you believe that the Lord fights for us? I'm here to tell you the Lord fights for us. The Lord fights for you. The Lord fights for me. He fights for me. 
Tomorrow, go down against them, and they will certainly come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. You will not need to fight in this battle. How many of you are facing something today? Every hand in the room is probably up. You do not need to fight in this battle. I'm here to tell you, you do not need to fight in this battle. You do not need to fight in this battle. You still need to do something. You still need to make motion. You still need to be obedient to the Lord, but you don't need to fight. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear. Here it is again. He's reminding us. He just said it two seconds ago. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow you go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the Jehabites of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord. God of Israel, with loud voices, with, with voices loud and high. How did they worship? Wow. With voices loud and high. Somebody, somebody worship the Lord with a voice really loud and high. Come on. Sometimes we just need to make some noise up in this place. Need to get loud. Not afraid of it getting loud. The Bible says that there are thunderings and lightnings in heaven. It's loud. Have you ever been outside in a thunderstorm and the ground shakes? It's kind of loud. And the flashes of light will blind you. And this is the throne room of heaven. Oh, it's a little too loud in here, Pastor Matt. I don't think so. <laughs> the lights are a little too bright, Pastor Matt. I don't think so. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait until you see the throne room, baby. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my gosh. I lost my place. With a loud voice. There we go. Thank you. So they rose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. Tekoa. Listen, if you can't get the names right, just you know, give it your best shot and just keep going. Uh, you know, those people aren't here to judge whether or not we said their names right. They're really not going to be offended. They're up in heaven. They have total forgiveness up there. <laughs> when you get into your word and you can't read the names, just give it your best shot. Keep pushing, baby. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Come on. Listen to what he says. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. God will start something strong in your life. This is why I put my finger there, because I keep losing my place. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord who should praise the beauty of the holiness. And they went out before the army and they were singing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And so here we see this picture of this great multitude that has come against Israel that they can't stand against. And they pray and they ask the Lord and the Lord's like, you don't have to fight. 
And then the next day as they pray and they're like, Lord, what do we do? He says, send the worshipers out first. Send the worshipers out first. Send the worshipers out in front of those men that carry shields. Send the worshipers out in front of those men that carry spears. And send the worshipers out in front of those men that carry swords. And send the worshipers out in front of those who carry bows. Forget about the tanks and the planes. Put the worshipers out there. Okay. <laughs> My praise is a weapon. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. I believe that this is a, uh, a hint toward the fact that they actually were, were singing Psalm 136. I believe that that's what they were actually singing. Psalm 136 is a, resp a, a responsorial psalm. And so they would sing a, a line and then they would sing. Um, so it, I would sing a line and then the, the entire group would sing, uh, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Sing another line, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And so what does Psalm 136 talk about? It talks about all of the victories of the Lord that the Lord had brought from the time that he brings them out of Egypt all the way up until they take the entirety of the promised land. How all of these kings continue to fall before Israel. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. This king fell, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. This king fell, praise the Lord for his mercy endured forever. Another king fell, praise the Lord for his mercy endured forever. No people could stand against the Lord. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And this is the song that they're singing as they're going out to battle. Come on. <laughs> is your praise a weapon? Have you developed it in your life to the fact where your praise is a weapon? Some years ago, I was sitting in a pastor's meeting and uh, they were interviewing different pastors and um, Bill Johnson was there and he said, um, he said, once in a while in a service, when I sense there's a, a, a bad spirit or a wrong spirit or an evil spirit, I'll send a worshiper over to that area just to worship near that spirit, and the spirit will flee. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I've taken it upon myself to be a, a wild worshiper because I will see the enemy flee. I will see the enemy flee. I believe it's possible, listen, I believe it's possible that we can live outside of the influence of the enemy. I believe that it is possible for us to live in a place where the enemy has no influence over my life. We're coming back to that. We're coming back to that point. Now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the, set, the Lord set ambushes among the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And when they had come against Judah, they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an, inhabitant, made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they had helped to destroy one another. So Judah came to the place overlooking in the wilderness and they looked toward the multitude and there were their dead bodies fallen upon the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoils, they found among them an abundance of valuables on their dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they had stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoils. Three days. 
There's so much money out here on the ground, it took them three days to pick it all up. Crazy. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barak, and they, there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place is called the Valley of Baraka until this day. And then they returned every man of Jeru Ju Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and with harps and with trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was on all kingdoms of those countries when they had heard the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. <laughs> Think about it for a minute. If you're another nation around Israel and you hear this story that they just sang and that that whole multitude that surely should have won lost, are you going to try something? I'm not going to try anything. And so we see here for the rest of Jehoshaphat's life, it was quiet. It was peaceful. We've got something better. I want to talk about um, the Tabernacle of David. I talk about, it's, it's one of my favorite things to talk about is the Tabernacle of David. Uh, but I want to talk about it a little bit more today. I want to, I want to drill down. I want to look at it a little bit more carefully. And then um, I have a follow-up to, to talking about the Tabernacle of David. Uh, we see something here in the Tabernacle of David that I want us to see. But before we see what the tabernacle of David accomplished, I want, to see, I want us to see what Scripture has to say about the tabernacle of David. It's the importance of the tabernacle of David. Amos 9-11, on that day I will raise up, I will restore, because it, it had fallen down. I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up the ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, Amos 9-11. And so God's saying, I am going to restore the tabernacle of David. I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David. We're going to, it, it's going to come back and it's going to accomplish once more what it accomplished once before. Acts chapter 15 after this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. And so we see here in the book of Acts chapter 15, we see the, the apostles quoting the scripture out of Amos and saying, God is at this time. He's rebuilding the tabernacle of David. This is, the why, this is the reason why we worship the way we do. Because we are, in some ways, a representation of what the tabernacle of David was. I mean, we're not exactly that. We're going to look at it in just a moment. But our worship here on a Sunday morning is a representation of what the tabernacle of David was. And what was it? 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. So they brought the ark of God and they set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. It was a tent. The tabernacle was a tent. It was just a tent. But it was a special tent that they had set up so that they could put the tabernacle of the Lord in here because David wanted to inquire of it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. 
And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. And then he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jael, then Shemaramoth, then Zechariah, and then Jael, then Sh- and then, and then, and Obed-Edom, and Jael with stringed instruments and with harps. But Asaph made music with cymbals, and Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priests, regularly blew trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jeduthun, and Hosa to be gatekeepers. And Zadok the priest and his brethren the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was in Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening according to do all that is written in the law of the Lord which he commanded Israel. That's a lot of scripture. Here we go. Hold up. Here's what's going on. I, we're gonna, I'm going to try to attempt to explain exactly what's going on. In the Old Testament, it says, here's the tabernacle of offering. And here in the back of the tabernacle of offering sits the Holy of Holies on the inside. And inside the Holy of Holies sits the Ark of God. And now once a year, priests enter in to the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice for the sin of Israel. And it was a very dangerous thing, so much so that they would tie a rope around the foot of the priest so that if he dropped dead inside, behind, if he had not dealt with the sin properly, they could pull him out and not risk their own lives by going in. And so it was this very holy thing. They only got to see the Ark of the Covenant one time per year and only one man. This is, this is the way it was from the days of Moses up until the days of David. No one was to see the ark. This is the way that it was supposed to happen. And David has this idea. He says, hey, I have this idea. Let's take the ark and let's put up another tent and we'll take the ark and we're going to put it in the middle of the tent. It says in the midst of the tent. And then we're going to get worshipers and we're going to get some people to pray all day, every day, continually it says, as every day's work required. And this is what's going to go on day after day after day after day after day after day after. And so we're just going to worship in front of the ark. And I'm like, excuse me, teacher. Yeah. How did David get away with this? Right? This doesn't seem legal. This isn't written in the word. Acts 2 says that David was a prophet. And he saw the days that would come. David prophesied of himself, and he said, he will not leave my body to rest in the grave, but there will be a day when I'm taken up. David was a prophet, and he knew what was coming, and God allowed David for a moment of time to exist in this New Testament reality where the presence of God was in the midst of the people. That's the New Testament reality that we live in right now. 
This is the New Testament reality that we're called to live in right now. This is the tabernacle of David, and this is what we're called to do right now. If we had a great big golden box, we'd put it here. But God would be sorely disappointed that we would set our affections on a golden box and not on him. God has removed the golden box. He's moved the temple. He's removed the temple with all of its gold. He's removed all of these beautiful, great edifices that were once built to him because it's not about a building or a place or a thing. It's about him and it's about his presence. The greatest thing about this ark of God, on the top of the lid of the ark were two angels that sat like this and they both had their wings extended. And in between the wings of the angels was a little blue flame that represented the presence of God. That's the greatest thing about the, this little box, was the little blue flame, the presence of God. And now the presence of God is here in our midst. It's, it was here this morning. It was definitely here this morning. If you didn't feel it, it was here, I'm telling you. We don't need a little box. We don't need a great big building with gold all over it. God is here. We can do those things, but God is here. We, we have to be careful not to let those other things distract us. And so what we see is for 33 years under David's rule, the ark of God sat out in the midst of the people. And for 33 years, day after day after day, there was worship and prayer and worship and prayer in the midst of, in the, midst of the presence of God, in the midst of the ark of the covenant, day after day after day, day after day after day, day after day after day. He said, listen, the one thing that we're going to do, guys, is we're going to worship. We're going to get people down here to sing. We're going to get people down here to worship. We're going to get people down here to blow the trumpets. We're going to get people down here to play stringed instruments. We're going to play all these things. I'm going to have singers, and I'm going to have people praying. And this is what we're going to do. IHOP, IHOP has kicked off this, this prayer model. And so now for 23 years, they've been praying and worshiping and praying and worshiping and praying and worshiping. And it, and it hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. They're continuing. It's, they started a prayer meeting in 1999, October of 1999. And it continues to this day without stop without end. And so while the rest of the world decided that we're going to get ready for Y2K, we're all going to die. Uh -huh. I, we laugh now looking back, but how many of us were serious and knew that Y2K was going to kill us? How many of you had a stockpile of food because God knows what's going to happen? It's important to remember the things that came and went and nothing happened. And I'm not to say that we don't live prepared, but we don't need to take too much precaution. Because although we may prepare a stockpile, someone could still come and steal that. The Lord is our provider. The Lord is always our provider. And so today there's a, there's a new problem. Tomorrow there's going to be another new problem. There's always another new problem on the horizon. And so are you going to start a house of prayer or are you going to live in fear of the problem that might be coming or the problem that might never come? There, there used to be a list of all of the different things that were going to kill us. SARS is going to kill us. Uh, HIV is going to kill us. It was a long list. Every year there's another new fear tactic, you know. Uh, the Taliban's going to kill us. I don't, the, I, I don't even bother to remember the list. I had it printed out. It was fun to read. 
Now it's fun to read to see like, oh yeah, I remember all those things. None of them happened. None of them happened. 33 years. And then for another seven years, Solomon continued the tabernacle of David while he built the temple. 1 Kings 5, 2 and 4, 2 through 4. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. Look at this. But now the Lord has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. The Lord has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. Come on. Come on. Come on. What happens when, when we have a, a house of prayer going for 40 years? <laughs> there is neither adversary. God gives us rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor there is evil occurrence. Solomon lived in a place. Solomon lived under a period of time. Not only was there no one to come against him, not only was there no enemy in his life, but evil things didn't even happen. Evil things didn't even happen. I believe it's directly related. I believe it's directly related to the house of prayer. I believe it's directly related to the tabernacle of David. God says, in the last days, I'm going to raise up this tabernacle of David once again. I'm going to raise up this power for worship once again. You know, um, one, one of the things that I endeavor to do is to never live impressed by the enemy and to not live mindful of him. Years ago... Uh, when I was first, uh, you know, learning to be a pastor and some of that stuff, you know, I'd talk to a lot of different guys and, you know, different pastors would say, no, no condemnation here. But they would talk about how on a Saturday night, like the enemy would come against them, you know, and there'd be all this struggle, there'd be all this strain, you know, anything that could go wrong would go wrong on Saturday night as they're trying to put their message together. And I'm like, okay. It doesn't happen to me. It just doesn't happen. And I'm not saying this by way of bragging, but I founded my life on worship. And so I refuse to even acknowledge that the enemy has any place in my life. I refuse to acknowledge it. I refuse to give the enemy that foothold of believing that he could do anything here. He has no place. And so I couldn't tell you the last time where I didn't sleep well on a Saturday night. I didn't sleep well Friday night this week, which I, I was tired going to bed last night, which was beautiful. I had a really good night's sleep. Got, went to bed around 10.30, got up at 7.30. Man, I'm pumped. I'm ready. Sometimes we just give the enemy place with our words. Right, because we'll say something along the lines of like, oh, you know, now that, now that you're, you've been blessed, now that you've taken two steps forward, be careful because the enemy's going to come in. He's going to attack you. Oh, you know, new levels, new devils. Hogwash. 
Maybe they are there, but you know what? They have as less, as less power or as little power as the last devils did. And it's not because they're any less strong. It's because my God is way so much stronger. It's not even me, guys. It's him. <laughs> I can't take any of the credit. This is the beautiful thing. I get no credit. It's all him. I just stand in the right mindset and refuse to allow the enemy to have any place. And then when I sense that there is a little bit of something coming on, I'm like, you get out of here. My praise is a weapon. The Bible says in, in, in Isaiah 61 that he's given us the, the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You sense, you sense a little bit of heaviness coming on you. I want you to start to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, let me just praise the Lord. And how do we do that? We do that with a loud voice. Praise the Lord isn't like, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. I mean, you can say that. But let the enemy know that you're worshiping. Praise the Lord. What are you afraid of? Someone's going to hear you? I hope they do. I pray to God that they're listening. And I pray to God that they hear me. I, I'm, I'm saying it so that they can hear me. I'm not saying it for me and for God. I'm saying it for everyone else. Get a hold of this. When Jesus comes and he, and he, Lazarus is in the tomb, right? He stands there and he prays this prayer. And he, Jesus says these words. He says, Lord, I don't say these words. You know, I only say them for those who are listening. You missed it. You missed it. I'm sure you missed it. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the tomb. And he prays this prayer. Go ahead and read it. It's in John. I think it's chapter 11. And he says, God, the words that I'm saying right now, I'm not saying for you or for me or for Lazarus. I'm saying it for the people that are listening. Sometimes our worship is for the people that are listening whether they're of the flesh or whether they're of the spirit. <laughs> whether they're of the flesh or of the spirit. Come on. Do you believe that your worship is a weapon? Do you believe that your praise is a weapon? There was a song uh, years ago. It was uh, Eddie James. My praise is a weapon. A mighty, mighty weapon. I don't remember the rest of it. Sorry, that's all you're getting. Look it up. <laughs> Someone else can sing it. But it is. It is. You get a little, you know, heaviness on you, just start praising the Lord. Worship, 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 worship. But your heart has to be right in it. Your heart still has to be right in it. We sang that song, Coming Back to the Heart of Worship. Right? It's all about the heart. Right? I can't just worship because I'm looking to defeat the enemy. That doesn't work. Our, the enemy can never be <laughs> the enemy can never be our focus when we're worshiping. Even in these times where I've spoken of where I would sense that there was an evil spirit present and I would stand up to worship the Lord, 
the enemy never became my focus. The evil spirit that I may have sensed was presence never became my focus. If, if there's an evil spirit that's your focus in worship, you're worshiping wrong. Mm -hmm. that's true. Worship should only ever set our affections on him. And he's worthy of all of our affection. And he doesn't ever change, no matter the circumstance of our life. One of the things that um, I really respect about, we're going to worship here in just a minute. If the worship team wants to come up, I would love, you guys come on up at this point. We're going to sing that last song again, My Praise is a Weapon. Nope, that's not the one. My Weapon is a Melody. That's the line I want us to sing. New is there. One of the things that I great really um, admire about Bill Johnson is his um, honesty to worship the Lord during some of the lowest parts of his life. And he's very honest about it. He worshiped the Lord when his father passed. And he said he walked away from that encounter and he said, I realized that I didn't want to miss this opportunity to worship the Lord through sadness worship the Lord through loss because I will never have this opportunity again. When I get to heaven, I'm only going to spend 70 years average, 78 years average on this planet. That's the average life expectancy. Maybe a few more, maybe a few less. I'm only going to get 78 years on this earth, and I wasted the first 18 by not following the Lord. 78 years on this earth to worship the Lord in sadness, in hardship, because when I get to heaven, all of those things are removed. Yeah. And there's a beauty of the worship that we give through hard times. Our weapon is a, our, our, our worship is a weapon. And as we worship, we defeat the enemy all around us. He continued and he said this again. Um, he said this again when his wife passed. He said the same thing. His wife passed, and she died, of a, she died of a cancer that they see healed all the time at their church. But she died. And he didn't understand why. He still doesn't understand why. Probably will never understand why. Or it's not about why. But he took the same posture, and he said, I, I'm going to worship the Lord through this thing that I don't understand that's going on in my life. Because I'll never have an opportunity to do it in heaven. In heaven, there will be perfect peace. In heaven... I will have, there will be no more tears, there will be no, sad, no more sadness. In heaven, I will see God face to face. In, in heaven, I will see God in all of his glory. And worship won't necessarily, I mean, it will be voluntary, but it won't be as voluntary as it is here. Much less of the fact that we get to worship through difficulty. And so I want to invite you today to worship through difficulty. I know that we all live life and life is life and I don't have to describe life for you you're living it you know what it is but I'm here to tell you today that when we worship him he takes our sorrows he takes our sadness it's Isaiah 61 it's the exchange rate of heaven he takes that thing that is worthless and he gives us that thing that is priceless this is our God this is what he does he gives us the oil of joy for mourning. He gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He gives us beauty for ashes. He gives us victory when we didn't fight the battle. 
He gives us healing and takes our sicknesses. This is our God. This is what he does. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus was the last sacrifice. That, that high place in Gibeon where they continued to offer the daily sacrifice, that's no longer necessary because of what Jesus did on the cross. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. The sacrificial system is done. It's over with. I'm the final sacrifice. Nobody needs to sacrifice anymore. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so now the sacrifices of praise comes from our lips. God, I worship you. Get our hearts into this right get our hearts into this right position and just worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Whether you feel like it or not, worship the Lord. Whether you feel like it or not, sing the song. Whether you feel like it or not, lift your hands. Whether you feel like it or not. And it's not about you looking like me. That's not what we want. We don't want Matt replicas up here. That's not the point. I want you to engage your heart fully in worship. I want you to engage your heart fully in worship because when you do, all bets are off. When you do, the enemy flees. When you do, healing comes. When you do, deliverance happens. God has his way. The enemy flees from our worship. So come on, stand to your feet. We're going to sing this song and uh, we're just going to go for it. Go for it with me this morning. Ha! Uh -huh. 